You're listening to the Religion and Fiction Podcast. A podcast for people interested in the intersection of the sacred and story that offers insight, inspiration, and a bit of entertainment for the journey. I'm your host, Jeremy Bauma, a former pastor and theologian who writes stories under J.A. Bauma that offer entertaining escape as well as insightful inspiration for the journey. Today's episode is an introduction to the second religion and fiction book club. Using one of my own books, one of my very first that I wrote, called A Reimagined Faith. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned. Hey, religious fiction readers. So glad you're here on episode eight of the Religion and Fiction podcast. Happy to have made it this far. And thanks so much for joining me in my own little podcasting adventure, especially through my own work. Because today I'm introducing the second religion and fiction book club using one of my first books called A Reimagined Faith. The book is the first in my Faith Reimagined series, a sort of spiritual coming-of-age story that follows the protagonist Peter Daniel Young, who is in many ways modeled after uh, moi, (laughs) because I wrote this story as a bit of a reflection of my own spiritual journey for the last 20 years, or at least I think it was the last decade when I originally wrote the story, which came out in 2015. And instead of writing a nonfiction book, a memoir, if you will, I decided to follow the spiritual journey, the progression of this Peter character. And this is what I thought would be a great second book for the Religion and Fiction Book Club, because at the beginning of the year, we tend to wrestle with those kinds of questions, or at least I do, Uh, whether it's wrestling through commitments to exercise or reading more or becoming more cultured, eating more healthy, uh, or reading the Bible more, praying more, investigating our questions surrounding God and faith and Jesus, and maybe investing ourselves in a local church or going to church for the first time in a long time. January is a perfect time to dive deep into those kind of self-assessing questions. And the question that appears on the back of the book is one I think is perfect to ask during this season of life. Here's the question. What do you do when the faith you've always known no longer seems to work and make sense? Deep, I know, but that's what you're in store for this episode as well as the Religion and Fiction Book Club. The book club will start officially next Wednesday, but I thought in this episode I would give a little bit of an introduction behind the story that led to a reimagined faith. We'll give you some insight into my own story, as well as some of what I hope to do in this novel and in the book club.
So the story of A Reimagined Faith and actually the second book, A Rediscovered Faith, originally was actually book one. (laughs) I wrote that one first, which became book two when I put pen to paper and wrote uh, the one we're using for the book club, A Reimagined Faith. So the roots of those stories, uh, the story of Peter Daniel Young, actually goes back 20 years. When I was a wee lad, a 20-something out in Washington, D.C., after having graduated from a small Baptist school in Ohio. Now, I was a political science major, and the career prospects for poli-sci majors back then were about as good as they are right now. (laughs) And the only thing I could think to do, and actually was my intent when I began pursuing that degree, was to move out to Washington, D.C. to make my mark on culture. I shared some of that story in uh, an episode from two weeks ago that shared some of my inspiration to writing generally. Uh, But specifically to this story, I was out in Washington, D.C. and ended up working for a United States senator from Ohio, which is where I had gone to school and had some connections there with his office. And really, it was the Lord making those connections and allowing me the privilege to serve those people. But uh, about a year later, I ended up changing jobs from working in the United States Senate to working for a religious organization called the Center for Christian Statesmanship. We were part of a larger organization run by a Presbyterian minister out of Florida called Coral Ridge Ministries. Dr. D. James Kennedy was the sort of the head honcho, if you will, as well as the pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. Uh, That name might sound familiar to some of you because he was part of the moral majority that uh, rose to prominence and power during the 90s. And his organization founded ours to be a source of evangelistic and discipleship on Capitol Hill. Now, let me just be clear, we were not lobbyists for Jesus, okay? We were not there to lobby members of Congress and their staff to change a particular law or to pass a particular law. Our entire mission was to meet with members of Congress and their staff for prayer, Bible study. We delivered Bibles to new members. And generally, we were there as a evangelistic and discipleship presence. Most of my time was spent not with the super powerful senators and congresspersons. Instead, it was with their staff. Little known fact, a little factoid for you, but most of Capitol Hill is run by a bunch of 20-somethings. <laughs> At least it was when I was working 20 years ago. About 27,000 congressional staffers, average age 27, help support the members of Congress and the senators, both in the committee level as well as the office level. A lot of people right out of college uh, having the same sort of ambition I did to help steer our country in a positive direction and make their mark on culture. Might explain why things are so crazy given that a bunch of 20-year-olds are running the country, (laughs) but uh, that's a whole other conversation. Back to my story on Capitol Hill working for this ministry. It was a fabulous experience and have quite a few crazy stories, both the good kind and the bad kind and the weird kind. Uh, But one of the most important and impactful results from my experience in this job 
was its personal impact on me, the way it shaped my own spiritual journey. Because here I was, a 20-something who did not intend to go into ministry, did not train to be a minister of the gospel, and yet I felt called by God to help these staffers who were many of my friends while I myself was a congressional staffer. And I was thrust into this situation in which I was faced with a lot of their questions about faith, life, and everything in between, which were some of the very same questions I myself were asking. Now, the very interesting part to this story of mine as a minister of the gospel, entertaining and engaging the questions of my friends in ministry was the same sort of scenario that I lay out in a reimagined faith with Peter Daniel Young. And that's the fact that I realized I didn't have answers to the questions that people were asking in our day and age, our culture. In fact, I was raised to answer questions that people weren't even asking. (laughs) Uh, One of those questions being, how do I get to heaven? Now, a good question at some level and a question that some of my friends were asking, but they really were not interested in some land in outer space as they could conceive it after death. Instead, they were far more concerned with righting wrongs and, if you will, bringing heaven to earth in this life. And so while I could articulate uh, the gospel and its solution to our human problem of sin, Jesus coming to pay the price for our sins and rebellion against God in our place on the cross and his resurrection offering us new life after death, as much as when he returns to make all this new, I could articulate that, but how do we answer the questions about the injustices that are plaguing our world right now. The wars going over in Ukraine and uh, the starvation and drought in Africa, the hurricanes and the tsunamis that devastate coastal lands and and all of these myriad of questions that were swirling in the, the middle 2000s that my 20-something friends were asking myself. And that began uh, a serious conversation within my own heart about a whole lot of things that I had grown up with in my faith experience, which I must sort of step back and explain that a bit. Uh, Because on the one hand, I'm super thankful for my church experience growing up in the independent fundamental churches of America Bible church that I was a part of. It was a church that was founded on and rooted in the what I would call the fundamentals of the faith. It was not fundamentalist as a lot of people might imagine it, an IFCA church, a conservative church. Uh, it was not legalistic. There was no hard and fast rules and laws against drinking or dancing or playing cards or going to movies or any of those sort of stereotype cliches about fundamentalist churches. And I credit that church, my childhood church, with rooting me solidly in the Bible and giving me a very good understanding of the word of God, as well as majoring on the majors of the Christian faith, our necessity for rebirth, our 
fallen human condition, the love of God that is evident in the cross of Christ and his physical bodily resurrection that paved the way for the salvation of humanity for those who come to him in faith. I'm also super thankful for the conservative Christian college that I attended, Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. And all of us mitered in Bibles, so we got a good dose of, again, that foundation of Scripture and the sort of major teachings of Christianity. But again, as I stepped into this different culture with different people and different backgrounds and different even faith experiences uh, in my ministry on Capitol Hill, I began to realize that I really was not prepared to answer the, the deep theological and spiritual questions that the surrounding culture was beginning to ask. And that led to a bit of a crisis of faith for me, which I document in a narrative sense in this series. And the reason why I did that was because I thought that it could be helpful to some people who are similarly wondering as the question asks, what do you do when the faith you've always known no longer seems to work and make sense? Well, for me, that was my story. (laughs) Uh, The faith I had known Uh, no longer seemed to make sense in the sort of emerging postmodern culture that had sort of just decided that all of truth was up for grabs. And that question as a 20-something who was so sure of himself and his beliefs and his faith uh, was pretty world-rocking to confront uh, some of the... I guess it would be immaturity of my own faith, as well as perhaps a lack of ability to engage the emerging cultural condition that was throwing up all sorts of questions around human nature, human identity, why things are so messed up, and what the fix is to our sort of messed upness. Uh, Really, I think the same situation is unfolding in our own world as we have become unmoored from any sort of common foundation and common cultural story, the same questions are being asked. And I hope that Peter's story and Peter's journey is helpful to those who desire to engage these questions about faith, life, and everything in between head on. Because what do you do? when the faith you've always known no longer seems to work and make sense. As uh, the back of the book continues on with the uh, sort of description of what the story is about, that's the haunting, confusing, unexpected question confronting 20-something Peter Daniel Young after a friend from his campus ministry doubts whether Christianity makes sense of life and has anything to offer it. Maybe you've had very similar questions about what is the true nature of the Christian faith and does it really matter anymore? Does it connect to our shifting, changing world? Does it answer the deep questions that we all have and does it offer the solution, the fix to all of our doubts and all of our longings? As the back of the book continues, uh, more troublesome yet for Peter, 
the right Christian answers that he was trained to offer since childhood are for questions no one is even asking, including his friend and even himself. Again, that's my own story. Again, I'm not seeking to denigrate my own childhood faith. I'm very thankful for what my parents gave me and for what my church childhood church gave me and uh, the education I received from my Christian college. Uh, but as I had begun to mature in my faith and began to wrestle with the questions and doubts of my friends, uh, there was a bit of lack there. And uh, Probably a lot of that was the gap between uh, my own knowledge and those questions as much as maybe some of uh, a need to rethink and reimagine, if you will, uh, the answers to some of those questions. So here is Peter confronted with doubts that his friend has about his Christianity, and, and that leaves him questioning what he's always believed and leads him into a crisis of faith, the likes of which he has never before experienced. I wonder if you've experienced that yourself, if you understand that disconnect between maybe what you were taught uh, or what you learned and had read about your faith, uh, your Christianity, and uh, how it matched up with the world and what other people were asking or saying. What did you do in those moments? How have you yourself reconciled that gap or that disconnect between what you've been brought up with, what you've always known, and some of the questions and the concerns and the cultural conditions swirling around? Well, for Peter, while not abandoning his childhood Christianity, he launches into a journey of exploration and discovery seeking a reimagined faith for his world, his generation, his friends, even himself, wondering what the essence of the Christian message is in the first place. And along the way, he is confronted by rising doubts, encouraged by friends, young and old, new and old, questioned by those close to him, challenged to own his faith for himself. And what he discovers is all at once terrifying and thrilling. For this story is the drama of his faith's death and rebirth. The book Back Description ends with this hope. Whether you are facing your own crisis of faith and wondering whether Christianity still matters, or you know someone else who is struggling themselves, discover, along with Peter, what the Christian message means for him, his family and friends, his life in the church, and for you. A little bit of the back description, if you will, as well as really what I myself experienced. And what I experienced is a little bit of what Peter experiences in this book, alongside his friends who begin to have some serious doubts about the relevancy of the Christian faith in the midst of all the changes going on in our world. And for Peter specifically, those. Doubts about the relevancy of Christianity are sparked by one of his uh, close friends, Clint. Early in the book, he meets him at a coffee shop after getting a frantic text message asking to meet. And 
as Clint unfolds uh, what is going on in his own heart and his own soul and all the deep questions he's asking, those spark the same types of questions then in Peter. Because like me, he doesn't know how to respond. He doesn't know how to answer the rising doubt within Clint. And this sends him into a path discovering a whole other group of people who are asking the very same questions he begins to ask and his friends are asking. A group called Prosurgent, which actually mirrors a modern conversation that happened about, uh, oh, 15, 20 years ago that I was caught up in as well, called The Emerging Church. I've written about this separately in some nonfiction books, and uh, some of my journey into, through, and beyond that conversation in the church. And I used it as a way, as sort of a springboard to some of what uh, Peter himself discovers. Some of what he discovers is very healthy and and good for him and his own spiritual journey because that group, Prosurgent, helps flesh out how to connect the Christian faith to our emerging postmodern culture. Down the road, he begins to have serious questions about what they themselves are questioning and doubting, uh, which gets resolved in book two, A Rediscovered Faith, and uh, Peter begins to realize that instead of reimagining the faith, he needs to rediscover the faith. Uh, But here in this book, he begins to really dismantle a lot of the structures that he had built around his faith, and that itself was sparked by the questions of others that he was not able to answer. Along the way, you will experience, I think, um, some very significant questions of your own regarding what is central to the Christian message. What are the things that we can sort of flex on? What are the things that we can't, that we need to hold on to dearly? And one of the singular debates that often raises these questions about the relevancy of Christianity is the dynamic between science and faith. And somewhere along the way, there will be a a very hopefully helpful discussion and interaction regarding that that dynamic intention and how we can hold on to what the Bible says about our human origins and its relationship to our, our connection to God and his desires for us and the role he has for us in the world, while also acknowledging the role that science has in explaining our world. This will become clearer along the way in the book and in the study. Uh, but as you can imagine, these uh, questions that are raised by his friends as well as Peter also begin to grate on some of Peter's relationships, the relationships that he has in his ministry as well as within his family. If you've ever had your own dark night of the soul and your own deep doubts and season of questioning and wrestling, you know that oftentimes that season can create all sorts of tension with other people and can also at times threaten other people's faith and their understanding of faith. And those dynamics are going to play out in this book. And I hope that if you're a parent, you will better understand the ways that kids, young adults particularly, 
often struggle with issues of faith in our modern world. And if you are a young one, like I was 20 years ago, I'm 43 this year, and so uh, I'm old. (laughs) But I have fond memories of my 20s, and and even now at times, I, I continue to grow in my faith and continue to wrestle with the Bible and and different aspects of Christian belief. But I hope that if you are particularly a 20-something or even a 30-something who are asking the same kinds of questions that Peter is asking and his friends, that you recognize the tension and the dynamics between other relationships and the the necessity for humility and a more humble posture than I had when I was doing that wrestling and, and even what Peter has in this book. Because pride tends to raise its ugly head during these seasons of questioning. So I hope that you are able to take away from this book some important lessons about how to navigate those questions, especially with your relationships. All right, a little bit about the book and what you will find and experience in Peter Daniel's story. Now, one of the things I want to be clear about is clarifying the title a bit, (laughs) A Reimagined Faith. Uh, It's part of a Faith Reimagined series, and not to spoil the experience at all, but the second book, A Rediscovered Faith, actually begins to move in a different direction and clarify my own posture towards how we connect the Christian faith to our emerging postmodern culture. You get a bit of that in this book here as I wrestle with what do we do about the faith we've been handed and the changes going on around us? Because there is this huge push in recent years, as well as this huge compelling force to change and progress and uh, rejigger, if you will, our faith to fit and to accommodate the culture, to make it more palatable to our friends and our family that might be not too keen on some of the answers that the Bible gives regarding our identity as humans or in our relationships with one another or in the way that we should define who we are and what we need to do to find the salvation that all of us are longing for. You will find in the story, in Peter's own journey, a wrestling through those questions and that tension of holding on to what you've been given and preserving what you've known while also moving in a different space. And what does that tension look like and feel like? And how do you resolve that tension? Some of that will be resolved in this book. Uh, a lot of it will be resolved in the next book. And I thought maybe I might continue this book club with book two uh, because I really, that was my first book and I have a fondness towards my sort of first baby, if you will. But regardless, this is a book that I hope will be of use to you as much as entertain you in the beginning of the year as we're all sort of wrestling through the deep questions of life and faith and everything in between.
Before I end the episode, I thought that I would read the prologue from the book that gives you a bit of an idea about the story inside. They call it the soul's dark night, that gauntlet of spiritual doubt, frustration, and crisis on one's journey toward full union with God. St. John of the Cross wrote the book on it. Teresa of Lusseau was plunged headlong into its icy darkness. Even Mother Teresa, that shining, shimmering example of Christian faithfulness, experienced its wet blanket suffocation for nearly 50 years. Apparently, I was in good company. It was comforting to know that I wasn't alone as I traveled through the angsty ravine of faith deconstruction and reconstruction, the likes of which I'd never experienced before. I was comforted that others had traversed its rocky paths ahead of me, charting a course and serving as trusted guides and kindred spirits for my own exploration of the outer reaches of faith. For I was wholly ill-equipped for that leg of my spiritual journey. Questioning the Bible and faith and God were never allowed in my neck of the Christian woods. I was bred the kind of Christian who accepted faith at face value. We all were, generations deep. God said it, that settles it, I believe it, was the foundation upon which my beliefs bloomed from seedling to petal daffodil. Yet, when the winds blew, the rain came, and the waters rose, that foundation couldn't hold my faith's rickety structure. I discovered, as much to my family's surprise as my own, that it was a facade assembled with duct tape and bailing wire. I've realized there comes a time in the pilgrimage of every Christian through this life when they reach a crisis moment. Storytellers have a word for this sort of thing. Inciting incident, they call it. A catalyst, a fork in the road. A blue-red pill moment when you're beckoned, wooed, shoved face forward and summoned to decide the fate of your own faith for yourself. For some, that moment comes through the fiery furnace of political oppression where the summoning happens in a dark, dank cell, staring down the barrel of a shotgun or dangling from the end of a slipknot. For others, it's less dramatic, yet just as petrifying. Social oppression might force the choice between family blood or Christ blood. Professional oppression might force the choice between remaining closeted or coming out, so to speak. Regardless of the how, the what is always the same. The day of reckoning for me, Peter Daniel Young, came through the most unlikeliest of places, religious vocation. Which made sense the more I thought about it, because it's when we are most required to give a reason for the hope we have in Christ that we are also required to own that reason, to own the scaffolding of reasons that have been assembled over the years to support the elements of that faith, whether for others or for one's self. For over 25 years on this rock of a planet, I had cobbled together an assortment of planks and beams to construct my faith. Come to find out, they weren't as stable as I once assumed. One by one, I found them disconnecting and tumbling all around me as I helped mentor college students, walking with them through life and their own spiritual journey. The Lord seemed to be dismantling the Christian structure I had carefully pieced together over the years. And that was all at once frightening and exhilarating. I didn't have a clue where the path cutting through the valley of death's dark shadow would lead me. 
Whether I would survive my deconstruction and evolve into a new state of faith through my reconstruction efforts, or whether it would destroy me and my faith. All I knew was this. I couldn't go back to where I was. Yet, I didn't have a clue where I was going. This is the story of my faith's death and rebirth. This is my story, reimagining the Christian faith. All right, there you have it. Uh, The prologue to A Reimagined Faith, the second book in the Religion and Fiction Book Club. Hope that you can find time to join us for the next five weeks. We're going to do a similar setup as before where I will offer a 30-minute or so episode every Wednesday on the chapters, probably seven or eight chapters or so. That should be good enough to work through the material, the story, and have some hopefully engaging conversations in the comments and even back and forth through email if you'd like. Always love to hear from readers, and I've been especially encouraged with some of the comments in reviews for the book who have mentioned how engaging the story was and helpful it was for their own exploration of the Christian faith specifically, but these sort of questions we all have about spirituality and religion broadly. So thanks for the consideration, and we'll hope we see you next week in the book club. And thanks for listening to the episode of the Religion and Fiction podcast. Would love for you to join in the fun reading through a reimagined faith at the start of 2023. Down below, get all the information, including a link to buy the book direct for a bit of a discount. Otherwise, grab it at each and every online retailer. And we'll look forward to starting next week, Wednesday. Happy reading.